Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. The Consumer Electronics Show wrapped up this week. Now, that is an influential tech event where some big brands show off their latest innovations. The one that caught my attention is Afila, an electric vehicle partnership between Honda and Sony. The competition in the industry is heating up as more companies enter this market. The bright and shiny EVs aren't all about looks. The battery power has improved as well. But is that enough? Today, we're going to talk about the evolution of the electric car, the purchasing power the consumer will have in the future, and look at what's available today. We'll take your phone calls a little bit later in the hour in just a few minutes. But first, NPR senior economics contributor Chris Farrell is here with me in the studio to tell us about some important news about the national economy. He has details about the latest consumer price index report. Hi, Chris. This is a big deal. It is a big deal. And if you want to take the headline, it's that prices are heading in the right direction. Mm. That's the conclusion you. you take from this report, right? So over the past 12 months, consumer price index rose by six and a half percent. Now that's the lowest level in a year, and it marks the sixth straight month of a deceleration in consumer prices. Mm. So mm-hmm. then you take the, we'll just give one more, the core CPI, which is the consumer price index minus uh, food and energy. Mm-hmm. Again, that's going in this decelerating pace, showing the right direction. So, and you have to put this in context. Remember back in June, we were talking about the consumer price index running at 9.1%. So you're going from 9.1%, 6.5%. That's why I think the headline is, with confidence, we can say these inflationary pressures are easing. We're moving in the right direction. And so where are prices going down and where are they still going up? Can you break down the numbers for us a little bit? Okay, so probably most people, when they go to fill up their car, have noticed, I know you're talking about EVs today, but mm-hmm. you know, when you still, you know, you go fill up your car, you probably notice that the price of gasoline is down. So a lot of the downward pressure came from gasoline and energy. Um, you also saw there various indexes, for example, used cars and trucks. Mm-hmm. That's come down. And remember, we were talking early in 2022 about those skyrocketing prices. Right. So they're coming down. Air, airline fares uh, decreased increased in December. Um, and we're seeing some price moderation, not decreases, but moderation, like in food, still going up, just not as at a ra- as a rapid pace. And then the really big increase, the one that just stands out is shelter in mm-hmm. this. And most economists are not worried about that. You would think they would be because it's one third of the consumer price so index. Rent and home prices. Rent and home prices. Right. But looks what's happening on, in the uh, in the housing market. You know, prices starting to come down. Uh, all the evidence we have is that rental rents are coming down, starting to come down. So looking ahead, when you go on Zillow and you create these increases, uh, these indexes off of some mm-hmm. real time, it's showing that shelter is easing. Glad to hear it. And so what does this mean for Fed policy? How, how are those folks interpreting this? Okay. So the Fed is out there, the Fed presidents, the Fed governors, and they're, you know, they're talking tough. That's, that's just their language, but it does give them some breathing room. So the next time the Fed policymaking arm gets together and they are in this committee room, they're going to decide mm-hmm. on monetary policy for everyone. Um, the, the guess is that they're going to be, they'll make a moderate increase. They won't hike rates very much. They have some breathing room here, but they're not willing to declare victory. They're far from declaring victory because they still see unemployment rate too low, wage increases too much. Whether that's true or not, we can have a debate about that, but that seems to be what they're seeing. But here's the bottom line. If 2022 
was the year of inflation. We're talking about the economy. Mm -hmm. The odds are 2023 will not be the year of inflation. All right. I'll leave it right there. Thank you for coming by and giving us that update. That's NPR's uh, senior economics contributor, Chris Farrell. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Talk to you Monday. Okay. Well, Let's talk now about electric vehicles and what we can expect to see happen in 2023. We're coming off of the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, as I mentioned, that big trade show that happens each January. Honda and Sony announce, yes, they have made a love baby called Afila and drove their new electric car out onto the stage. Afila won't be available, though, until 2026. Now, the nation has been on a long road to get more electric vehicles in the market. It's estimated in 2022 that just 1% of vehicles in the U.S. are electric. 1%. The barriers that have held people back in the past range from affordability to what's actually available to buy in the moment. And some folks have just been waiting for technology to get better. Now, despite the small percentage of EVs on the road, sales for electric vehicles have been increasing. And some of the big automakers are now gearing up to release a fleet of new high-tech electric vehicles. Can you tell? I'm a little excited. The federal government is working to make about 50% of new vehicles sold in 2030 to be fully electric. And along with that ambitious goal, President Joe Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law plans to build half a million electric vehicle chargers across the country because got to have them. And there is also a new clean vehicle tax credit that starts this year. I'm going to talk about all of this with our guests, but as I talk with them, I'm taking your phone calls. I want to hear from you. If you own an electric vehicle, what convinced you to make the switch from your gas-powered car? What's good and what's challenging about it? And if you don't own an EV right now, what's holding you back? Phone lines are open. Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. You can also tweet me at Angela Davis, MPR. All right, let's bring in our two guests. We have Rebecca Hiawal with us on the line. And Rebecca is a reporter at Vox covering emerging technology, artificial intelligence, and the supply chain. You can also hear her stories on Recode. That's a podcast that explains how our digital world is changing. Rebecca is joining us from Los Angeles this morning. It's early there. Hello, Rebecca. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining us. We also have with us Yuka Kukunen. Yuka is the founder of Shift to Electric. That is a Minnesota-based electric vehicle consulting and training company. And he's also an instructor at the University of St. Thomas, teaching courses about the EV market. Good morning to you, Yuka. Good morning, Angela. Thanks for having me. Hi. Listen, I'm not even a car person, <laughs> but I am so intrigued by what is happening in the auto industry and when it comes to technology and electric vehicles. And, and you, I'm going to start with you. What do you see? Like, What is the big benefit of more of us choosing to switch to electric vehicles as we make decisions on that next car or SUV we purchase? Well, it is um, biggest impact there is the energy consumption and the savings on that side. That is the that is the big difference there. So, if you think about the different options that people have in the market right now, everyone knows the traditional internal combustion engine that gets about twenty five miles per gallon mm-hmm. um, on average. Then we have the traditional hybrid like Toyota Prius, um, and there the internal combustion is made with electric electric motor which makes it a little bit more efficient. So we're talking about 45 miles per gallon, but still all the energy is coming from oil. Mm-hmm. And then we move into the electric uh, options. So we can get the plug-in hybrid, where the first 20 to 50 miles 
are electric every day, and then the gas engine turns on if you drive further that day. There we are talking about efficiencies of 80 miles per gallon on electric mode and 30 to 45 miles per gallon in hybrid mode, so much better. And then, of course, the battery electric vehicle, which is the all-electric option for us, which the new ones get over 250 miles of range, and we are talking about efficiencies of over 100 miles per gallon equivalent. So anyone who starts driving one of those drops 75% of their transportation energy overnight. So that is the big difference. Right. And then, you know, just I'm glad you sort of explained what what's the differences are and the choices we have. You have fully electric vehicles and then you have hybrids. Uh, what's on the market right now, Yuka, uh, when we look at, you know, electric cars and SUVs and even trucks? What are some folks driving? What are we seeing a lot of? Well, we have so many more options right now. We have, we have over 75 uh, different models technically available uh, in the in the US market um, of course the availability as you mentioned is the uh, is the one of the biggest challenges we have right now but you can actually find uh, all the vehicles and the specs available at the EV info list that I actually update uh, monthly so you can go to EV inf- our listeners can go to evinfolist.com and just download the list and see all the specs and look at what is available and what might work for them i usually say that i can't really tell what's the best car for you but you just go check out what works for you, what you think is interesting. Go test drive them, have fun, and then choose what you like the best. Rebecca, uh, what are you excited about uh, when it comes to EVs coming off of the Consumer Electronics Show? I think one of the trends that we're really seeing is sort of the insights that you know tech companies can bring to cars. You know, cars are transforming into computers on wheels increasingly, mm-hmm. you know, assisted with artificial intelligence. And it seems like these vehicles are just getting a lot smarter. Um, and that's sort of, um, sort of catching the ride of the electric vehicle movement. And I think that's really exciting. And it means our cars are going to be able to do a lot more than we're used to. And, and talking with people and talking with drivers, are, are people happy with the electronic, the electric vehicles that they're driving? So I think that one thing that maybe doesn't get as much attention is that the experience of driving itself does change. You know, you tend to have less maintenance. You don't have things like oil changes. Uh, you don't have to do like replacements on brake pads as often. Mm. Driving is smoother. The cars are also quieter so that you might find that more pleasant. So even just the experience of driving one of these vehicles is a real sort of difference and transformation um, compared to an internal combustion car. And, and and driving the, the the electric vehicle itself, what is the description? What's the difference that you found between driving an electric vehicle and driving? A, you know, I have a Honda Pilot. Like, what's the big difference? What would I see? I think it's it, it's just uh, it's just smoother, but in a lot of ways, it's also just the same. You're still driving a car, so um, <laughs> it, it's kind of. Uh, a lot changes sort of in the background and a lot of it is also similar. One thing to keep in mind is that there is a faster acceleration on some EVs. So Mm. you might find that they speed up a little quicker. Uh, So some things are very different and some are basically the same. And let's take a phone call uh, as we're starting to get calls from listeners who want to be a part of this conversation. Uh, We're talking about electric vehicles. What are we seeing now? What will we see in in the next couple of years? If you own an electric vehicle, what convinced you to make the switch from your gas-powered car or truck? What's good and what is challenging about it? And if you don't own an EV right now, what is holding you back? The phone lines are open. Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-242. 2828. Uh, to the phone lines. In Plymouth, we have Naveen on the line. Good morning. What did you want to tell us about electric vehicles? 
good morning thank Hi. you so much for taking me to call mm-hmm. so basically i own tesla i've been driving it for the last one year and it's a great driving experience uh, you know the two things kind of like you know convinced me to change from gas to electric car uh, basically like you know the uh, uh, power consumption uh, you know i pay like maybe less than 1/4 or 1/6 of what we typically pay for the gas car mm-hmm. and the second thing is the technology the technology is great uh, basically you know you have a lot of uh, you know good features and uh, uh you know the speed like you know 0 to 60 it varies from 2 uh, seconds to 5 seconds in in tesla and of course uh you know the other factors like you know like you have mentioned very less maintenance so far i did not take my car to the service station because i don't need any brake pads check or oil change or anything and on top of it like you know we uh, and the other thing to people worry is like you know the range anxiety and typically like you know when you have a home charger at home you don't need to worry and if you drive like you know 50 to 100 miles in to the max every day to your work like you, know, you can charge it at home but if you go for a long drive like you no know, tesla has really this uh, uh, superchargers they are available everywhere and even if you don't own like you know other other avs like other than tesla you have electrify america it's like expanding so fast like you know i don't think like you no know, range anxiety should be Uh, any an issue but the uh, the cost is another issue like you know, when mm-hmm. i got my car i had to wait like in you know, a one year to get my car but right now like you know there are a lot of options available in the market uh, and I, i'm hoping the cost would come down like so that like you know, many people are able to afford the evs um, and of course like that's very very better for the environment and you know, a lot mm-hmm. of like you know carbon you're reducing the carbon emission But so that's, the, um, the, the, I mean, the, again, the, you're, you drive a Tesla. So we, we're seeing more and more Teslas uh, out there on the road. And uh, uh, you co- what do you think about uh, what, what Naveen shared about uh, his driving experience, um, saving money and, and not having to do the, the maintenance that, that he was doing before? Yeah, it sounds very typical from all the EV owners that I've spoken with. Uh, we, um, it's always, the, always a good thing for people who are considering buying an EV to talk with someone who owns one already. Mm-hmm. Because then you get a real-life information. And that's, for example, why we have the Minnesota EV Owners Group, where we have over 3,000 members. So um, it's, a, it's a good group to get in contact with if you have any questions about EVs. There's an owners group, so people who, who you're just sharing feedback on how it's going. What is it called? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Minnesota EV Owners. Um, okay. And we actually have a party tonight. At the White Bear Mitsubishi, White Bear Mitsubishi. <laughs> uh, so join us there to talk with all the owners. And so I know a lot of people think about this as we think about the weather we have right now across Minnesota. And Yuka, you're here in the Twin Cities. Will electric vehicles and these car batteries hold up with the harsh Minnesota winters? Oh, very well. Um, I've been driving um, electric since 2012, so over 10 years now. And it's not an issue. EVs are actually excellent winter cars in many ways. They heat up much faster than traditional cars because you don't have to wait for the internal combustion engine to heat up oh. before you get the cabin heat. Mm. You can get them preheated so that, for example, when my wife was commuting to work... You can preheat work, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can preheat it in your cold garage oh um, because there's no emissions. Mm. Um, so mm-hmm. when my wife was ready to get to work at seven, uh, uh, leave to work at seven twenty in the morning, she could just go into our cold garage. The car was waiting for her there. Interior was hot, her seat was hot, and even her steering wheel was hot. So it's a pretty luxurious ride uh, from there on. And uh, 
when she was ready to leave the work, she could just take her cell phone out and tell the car, could you please heat yourself up? Oh, my goodness. And again, <laughs> you go in the warm car. You don't have to wait for anything to warm up. So it's a little different experience. And Rebecca, and you're, you're there in, in, in Los Angeles. How do electric vehicles hold up in the heat? What happens when it gets really hot? Is that a factor or not? So I think some of the research has shown that, you know, if you're dealing with temperatures like mid 80s, um, maybe a little bit humid, they they tend to do, you know, basically they're fine. Um, there has been some research that shows that the range of a battery in colder weather does decrease somewhat. But, you know, you you adapt to that. And I think um, this is also worth keeping in mind while there might be some like you know, things to think about depending on the weather. It's not like internal combustion cars don't have their own limitations depending on the weather, right? So, you know, there are new things that maybe EVs bring up, but uh, you always have to compare it to, you know, what the standard technology is right now, if, if that makes sense. And Rebecca, I, I mentioned how the federal government is trying to pave the way a way forward for an electric vehicle future. We talked about um, President Biden's goals, uh, the federal government working to make about 50% of new vehicles sold in 2030, not that far away, to be fully electric, and that uh, there's also a plan to, to build half a million electric vehicle chargers across the country. Rebecca, what can you tell us more about the politics behind the production of EVs? So the politics of it are really challenging because right now um, China um, has a significant share of uh, the sort of processing of the critical materials that you need to make electric vehicles. Um, And there's also just sort of a general race to sort of among all these different countries to get a real share of the EV market, especially because it's going to to grow. Um, In the United States, uh, you know, there's a perspective from the Biden administration that if this is going to be the future of cars and the future of driving, the United States should you know, take the lead on that and and be a dominant EV manufacturer. So we're we're seeing debates about how much to subsidize uh, battery manufacturing plants, which are which are popping up across the United States. You know, the Biden administration just gave us pretty significant loan uh, to GM in order to help them with their EV efforts. So, you know, it's a basically sort of the question is how much should the government be helping? There's the, you know, the transition to EVs is going to happen. The question is, should how much money should the government be spending to make sure it happens as soon as possible? Mm. Uh, let's take more phone calls from listeners. If you're just joining us, we're talking about electric vehicles. If you own an electric vehicle, what convinced you to make the switch from your gas-powered car or truck? What's good? What's challenging about it? And if you don't own an EV right now, What's holding you back? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Talking with two guests and taking your phone calls. Let's uh, go to uh, Palisade to talk to Shanai. Hi, Shanai. How are you? Hi. Good morning. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm calling in about another side of this issue uh, mm-hmm. of EVs. You know, there's a rush to... Uh, get more minerals for EV batteries. And I'm calling in from rural Aiken County, where we have a proposal from Rio Tinto and Talon Metals to build a mine for Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, and how does how do these federal subsidies, for example, for mineral processing, ahead of reviews for these kinds of dangerous mining projects, how does that shake out? Um, you know, frontline communities, indigenous communities, we're, we're right here where they intend to mine for these minerals. And I just wonder if that's something uh, EV buyers or others who are talking on the show today are thinking about um, the consequences of, of the mining that's needed, mm-hmm. or that they say is needed, mm-hmm. and, and is it really needed? The impact there. Um, uh, you can, what can you tell us about what we know about uh, the resources that are needed to, you know, create the batteries for these uh, electric vehicles? 
Yeah, um, definitely there's a, there's a new need for, for different kind of minerals to make it. At the same time, we have to remember that um, majority of the oil we use in Minnesota is also mined from Canada so and tar sands. So it's, it's not much better in that way. But anyways, um, um, the battery manufacturers are also developing new battery technologies that require less of these uh, different mineral, minerals. So, uh, for example, new um, lithium ion phosphate batteries uh, don't need many of the other other minerals that are are needed. So, and manufacturers are starting to use more of those. So, there's a quite a bit of new chemistry development happening. And at the same time, um, people are making sure that we have also good recycling systems for all of this. EV batteries are not coming back to recycling for another 15 to 20 years, or then 30 years if they have a second life use, which usually is the case. But what we really need to do is make sure that we recycle well all the cell phone or the laptop all the other batteries because those provide us good materials for all these battery developments. All right, we have another uh, caller from Palisade on the line. This is John. John, what did you want to tell us or ask us as we talk about electric vehicles? Well, I'd like to ask about, um, again, from Palisade, so we're facing a, a Rio Tinto uh, sulfide mine here, which is going to be disastrous. But uh, again, on this green transition, we're talking about all the minerals that need to be uh, you know, mined in addition, claims from the car companies, claims from the administration. But I'd like to know a little bit more about how uh, we navigate these multinational corporations like Rio Tinto and Glencore, who have absolutely atrocious human rights violations in their histories, uh, atrocious environmental destruction across the globe, uh, Rio Tinto was responsible for blowing up a 46,000-year-old sacred site in Australia less than two years ago. Uh, you know, how do we how do we justify having these corporations come in and extract these minerals and uh, leave a disaster in their wake? Well, John, let me. That's uh, uh, John and Palisade, also there in rural Aiken County in Minnesota. Rebecca, on a national level, as you've been reporting about uh, electric vehicles and the in the transition, this technology, what are you seeing or hearing about people who have concerns about uh, mining for the, the the minerals that are needed to create the batteries? Yeah, this is a super important, important concern. And I think it brings up part of what I mentioned earlier, which is, you know, if the government is going to be giving these companies, you know, lots of money, right? Like, what is the process for, you know, what, you know, what companies are getting, you know, rewarded for that? What are those companies' histories? What do they plan to do in in the the mines that they plan to open or, or or whatever they're whatever they're focused on? I think it you know it raises real questions. You know, the environmental questions raised by um, mining critical minerals that has already come up in other countries where this is already taking place. So, you know, that has to be factored in. It is it is significant and it is it's not something that sort of can be dismissed at all. All right, let's take another phone call as we talk about electric vehicles. Uh, let's ta- talk to Anna in Minneapolis. Good morning, Anna. What do you want to tell us? Hi, um, I am a member with Our Car in um, the Twin Cities, and I drive their electric vehicles a lot. Um, they do a Chevy Volt and a Nissan Leaf. Mm-hmm. And one thing I noticed this winter is, and it was something I couldn't find a lot of information about online. I didn't really learn it till I was driving in winter is how the cold does affect your range. Um, I would say in the winter that it takes at least 45 or 50 miles off of your range just because it's cold. And then if you're using the heater, um, if you're in the leaf, sometimes it takes about another 20 miles off your range. The bolt is a lot less, but um, 
And then how you use the heater. You can't really put it on blast. Um, you have, if you want the car to really heat up, you got to keep it at sort of like a moderate fan speed, a moderate temperature, mm-hmm. and then it works. But there's a, a little bit of stuff to know, especially if you're going to be buying a electric vehicle in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Thank you, uh, Anna. And uh, got you're here in the Twin Cities. Uh, what do we know about the improvement to the batteries that we will see with electric vehicles coming out in 23, 24, 25, 26? Uh, that, is that an emphasis that the batteries will be better and stronger? Well, um, what we're hearing here, of course, about the cold weather uh, experiences is, yes, you lose, as I said, 40 to 50 miles or maybe 60 miles, some cases of range in a cold weather. If you start with a new EV, you have over 250 miles of range. As long as you're aware of it, it's usually not an issue. It was a little bit more challenging in 2012 when we got our first Nissan Leaf, and that had 73 miles of range. You take 40 miles out of that, and yes, <laughs> that starts to hurt. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's less of an issue nowadays. And again, our battery, te- battery technology is improving all the time, so it'll be less of an issue even in the future. And Rebecca, what can you tell us about um, the range and uh, improvements to the, the batteries that we will see in the, in the years to come? So I think uh, focusing on increasing range is definitely you know one of, one of the focuses. Um, like was previously said, new battery chemistries are going to sort of help um help with that i think you know one of the challenges is also sort of like psychological in terms of range anxiety it's like you're not really it's like where most people are not you know pushing that battery range to the um to the brim every day um right. and sort of getting people to think about that and you know part of that is also just making chargers ubiquitous that's sort of um the big strategy from the biden administration to mainstream this technology is essentially to put chargers everywhere put them along the highway so that you never really have that concern that you're going to end up stranded um, without without a charger. Um, even then, I will add now, some companies are looking at like mobile charging where they'll like show up in a truck with a battery and charge your car if you really get um, into a tough spot there. So um, there's a whole way of sort of dealing with that, that that people are looking into. Yeah, we don't need any more anxieties. Range anxiety. <laughs> I hadn't heard that term before. Uh, and so, Rebecca, if you don't own a home and you're living in an apartment, are we seeing... Um, you know, more apartment complexes or, or rental units installing charging stations? Do you see that happening? So that is is slowly happening. Um, you know, chargers being put in like parking lots that might be associated uh, with a mm-hmm. condo building. Also cities, um, which maybe parking lots are not are, are not so normalized, like having that with your apartment building, just having public chargers that are available. One challenge with that is that you know, there are different levels of chargers and some chargers are maybe more expensive to buy, but really fast at charging. So there's a kind of balancing, um, balancing game there. But we, we are, we are seeing that, um, happening. And I think another thing that's kind of interesting is seeing workplaces installing chargers into, uh, their like corporate parking lots and things like that. So maybe you're not charging at home, but you are charging your car at work, you know, while you're at the office for the day, your car's just sitting there, uh, refilling its battery. All right. Uh, let's take uh, one more call before we take a news break. Lots of people calling in as we talk about electric vehicles. Uh, give us a call at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828 in Brooklyn Park. Let's talk to Tim. Good morning, Tim. What's going on? What did you want to tell us? Hey, Angela. Thank you for the time this morning. Um, I know you're going into commercials, so I'll give you three things very quickly. I currently own a Volvo 
um, EX40 or uh, XC40 recharge. Um, And I want to give you the experience as your first caller who talked about Tesla, the difference between a Tesla and then kind of the home charging experience. So the the experience, as as your first caller with the Tesla said, um, I always say that if more people drove EVs, more people would drive EVs. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I work a I work for one of the big three software manufacturing cloud services organizations in the world. And mm-hmm. what I can tell you is the difference between a Tesla and a Volvo or a Chevy or whatever is a Chevy or Volvo company is a manufacturing company. Tesla is a software company, and you can tell um, these companies that are doing manufacturing have a lot to learn around building software, which, you know, the caller said, hey, you can heat the car up before. I think that was one of your actual speakers. Mm -hmm. On some of these other brands, they don't have those bugs worked out. I won't go into the details of that technology, but I've actually worked with Volvo um, IT and software development because I'm finding bugs in their solution. The second piece is is the experience of not being a Tesla. So um, (laughs) my wife and I looked at Tesla versus Volvo, and the thing you're paying for is the charging infrastructure. Um, if you see these chargers around at the Target or a Hy-V that have a Tesla logo versus the others, the Teslas may be a supercharger, but there are only two, perhaps three superchargers for non-Teslas in the Twin Cities, which means a difference between 45 minutes of charging and 12 hours of charging. Mm-hmm. The third is your home charging experience. Um, I have a home charger. My home was built in the early 2000s. We have Excel as our um, company that provides our electricity. Um, we also have solar. Um, now, even having a very modern home or a fairly new home, we had to upgrade our electrical service to our home to be able to support oh. the, the, the charging to mm-hmm. get a pu- full new service line pulled in, another 200 amps added to the home. Um, now, thankfully, we had done solar, so we got that with a um, tax credit. But there's a lot of work involved there. And for anybody that's considering solar, so they know um, as well, because a lot of times folks want to put those two together, Excel will not let you use their solar rate and their EV rate simultaneously. You have to have two meters. And none of this information is anywhere. I had to learn it myself as I went along. I will concur with the first chart caller, though, drastically less cost. We went from $800 a month in gas on the very large SUV that we owned mm-hmm. um, to now we're spending about less than 80 and we are at the high electrical rate and once the new meter is installed which should be here in the next month or two we expect to be less than 30 dollars a month in electricity for my vehicle wow because i know that was a lot no that was was very helpful i i appreciate and no commercials here but thank you i i loved hearing your 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 testimony and and that driving experience is very very valuable to us uh that's tim in brooklyn park uh telling us about the experience of owning and driving and charging an electric vehicle and before i take more of these calls i want to follow up on our last uh caller with our guest uh who was talking about making changes uh to his home so that he could be able to recharge his electric vehicle and uh rebecca and uh, and yuka both of you what what do people need to know about what updates they may need to make if they purchase an electric vehicle and want to be able to recharge at home uh rebecca yeah, so you need to figure out your home charging situation. That's probably the the main thing you need to do. Um, you also need to you know do research into sort of what your nearby the nearby chargers are in your area. You know, looking at your own commute and and things and things like that. Um, there there are a lot of uh, you know little quirks that might pop up um, depending on your own like living situation, but it also might depend on you know your utility company and like where you actually live. So it could be very different in Minnesota compared to New York or LA or, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yuka, what do you want people to know or be aware of of the options and maybe the expense? 
Yeah, I would say that if you have a good relationship with some uh, excellent electrician who is knowledgeable about EV charging, please talk with them. Um, also talk with your utility company. Mm-hmm. They, If you don't have connections to electricians, they can provide that. And we have already uh, a lot of good electricians in uh, Minnesota who are, some of them are solely installing EV charging instruction nowadays because mm-hmm. there's so much need mm-hmm. for it. So they know the thing. They can explain you very quickly what, what needs to be done. And in most cases, it's not that complicated. Usually there is uh, some spare available at the home so uh, capacity. Uh, so you can do the installation. And if it's if you're installing the charging station by the and you have a, already a power panel in a, in a garage, the cost might be some uh, hundreds, two to four hundred dollars. Um, if you need to upgrade the system or do something like that, I think the average is then like $1,500. But it's a one-time investment for amenity that you'll be using for decades. So it's not bad in that way. Let's take another phone call uh, in Wilmer, Minnesota. We've got Chris on the phone. Good morning, Chris. What do you want to tell us about electric vehicles? Well, good morning. Uh, I'm just calling to let you kind of know that, well, I was uh, at my previous position. I did research specifically for electric vehicles in this community. And... um, there was a couple big things that I think are still trying to get figured out. Um, but what I would urge everyone to do who has an electric vehicle is to make sure you communicate to your utility company. Um, some of them might be more receptive than others, but there is um, some unintended consequences that could happen. For example, if you and your neighbor and a third neighbor are on the same sub-transformer, uh, and you all charge at the same time, uh, along with using everything else in your house, you could actually blow that transformer or make it obsolete. And that costs utilities thousands and thousands of dollars, especially at this time with um, still COVID issues with getting some of these supplies uh, when we're in a shortfall of these supplies. So I would just um, really try to let people know that communicating with your utilities even if on the first time it doesn't work, call a year later to let them know again, um, because more rural utilities especially are looking into doing more data collection of uh, EV charging in their communities. All right. That's uh, Chris calling in from Wilmer. Let's take another phone call in Apple Valley. Bill's on the phone. Hi, Bill. What do you want us to know about electric vehicles? Hi. I, I have had a Nissan Leaf since 2012, and in 2018 we got a Mitsubishi plug-in hybrid, and the combination of a car that can run on gas with a car that's fully electric uh, means we can right-size the vehicle for the kind of travel we want to do. So that works out Hmm. really well, and I want to just point that out as an option for people who want to dip their toe in the water. Um, I am uh, involved in the electric utility. Uh, I'm on the board of my cooperative, and uh, so I have a little bit of insight from inside and you know i'm not speaking on behalf of them or on on behalf of the board but i've paid a lot of attention to this this topic and uh electric cars are actually quite good for the electric industry there's actually the capacity to produce two and a half times as much electricity as we use because the demand varies during the day it's high in the day and it's low at night and that means you have to build more in order to meet the peak demand well, building uh, a more load at night with electric car chargers, which is typically when cars charge, that makes better use of capital. 
And so it actually brings down the price of electricity for everybody. And there's a lot of interest uh, and a lot of excitement within the electric industry about the benefits of having more mm-hmm. uh, controllable load. And that's another thing that's a real benefit. The cooperative that I belong to provides an incentive to help you pay for the cost of installing your charger. And then they've got a, a collection of different rates that you can pick the one that works for you and you get a discount on your electricity. So oh, what's already good. very economical becomes even more so. Thank you. That That's Bill in Apple Valley. I want to take another phone call in Duluth. Lots of people want to share their stories about electric vehicles in Duluth. Mike is on the phone. Hey, Mike, what can you tell us? Hi, I'm actually one of those guys that I uh, have money down on an electric vehicle. Um, but I'm thinking about pulling out because I do have range fear. And I'm trying, what my goal is, is to get down to one vehicle. But living in Duluth and wanting to drive electric vehicle further than a commuter car, mm-hmm. it's sounding like I, most cars you can get 250 miles uh, uh, charging, but the style battery dictates only 80% of a charge, so that's 200 miles. Then you factor in the winter, 20 to 30% off of that, you're down to 140 miles. I can't even get to the city. So the issue is really charging stations. And mm-hmm. we hear about more and more charging stations coming online, but someone who wants to buy one and you're looking at where these charging stations are, it's not really reliable. Yeah, it's very connected. Other, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, so, so if I get to the cities and I plug into my friend's house, it's going to take me three days to charge it up, which is, you know, whatever. But the other thing is I got a friend that has a Tesla, and he keeps telling me that there's rumor that Tesla rapid charging, which is the best network in the country if you want to travel with an electric car, um, he's saying there's rumors that Tesla rapid charging may be opening up to the other EV uh, cars. I was wondering if you could talk more about uh, range yes. and getting more, because I, I have yeah. another technology. I want to present this to our guests, because Rebe- Rebecca, you brought up the term. I said, oh, I had not heard this, but I get it. Range anxiety. That's what Mike in Duluth is talking about, range fear. Uh, what can you tell folks about that? And, and just, I mean, that's the legitimate concern. Like, am I going to be able to <laughs> recharge when, I, you know, will I make it to my next destination in time to do that? Yeah, it is um, a real concern. It's not, um, you know, if you're sort of thinking about uh, traveling past that, significantly past the, the capacity of, of the battery, it raises questions. And and like the, like the caller said, then it becomes about chargers. Um, mm-hmm. Tesla has discussed opening up its network to other vehicles. And, mm-hmm. you know, that may involve an adapter. Um, you know, but it, it, in general, mm-hmm. the, the this is where chargers have to come in and where the federal government is funding so many new chargers and especially diverting money to make sure that it goes to rural areas and make sure charging is, is very available there and not just in, in cities. Um, and also, you know, focusing in particular on those fast chargers, chargers that can get you a significant amount of uh, charge back in, in the equivalent of going to eat lunch or just going to the bathroom at a rest stop. That's like the, you know, the holy grail of charging that really needs to take place that needs to be available in a lot of, you know, um, in rural areas too, so that people can really travel as they need to um, in order uh, to sort of get past that uh, range capacity issue. So that if that's not a rumor Mike was asking about is, is are there uh, Tesla 
chargers, will other um, types of automobiles be able to to charge? That there it's could be a, that's been adapted. discussed. Yeah, it has been discussed. Yeah. Okay, so that's good. And yeah, uh, I want to talk more um, you ca- about uh, rural communities uh, across Greater Minnesota. Uh, is there something? Is there a benefit to driving an electric vehicle in a rural county, or is it more risky? There's definitely a benefit um, when we think about this. Um, and the range anxiety, just uh, adding to all the good good points that Rebecca made there, is that, first of all, um, if you have more than one car in your family, you can have one EV and you can have something else. And, mm. and when I talk with people at the rural households, I ask, do you have two cars in your family? And they usually say, well, I have five. I'm yeah. like, all right, well, <laughs> maybe one of those could be EVs and you can still have uh, others. Mm. And those who want to have just one vehicle, you don't have to get the battery electric vehicle. You can get the plug-in hybrid, and then you don't have any mm. problems with the range. You have the flexibility. So so that's that. But for rural households, what I'm usually saying saying that EVs actually make more sense in rural America. We used to be talking that EVs are more for metro areas, which used to be true in many ways. Now when we have longer ranges, um, this thing has flipped, and rural household use, households use more funds to transportation than others. And as we have heard from previous callers here is that more you drive, more you save. So you have a big savings opportunities there. Hmm. Let's uh, take another phone call in uh, New Hope. We have Kyle on the phone. Good morning, Kyle. Hey, good morning. Hi. What do you want to share with us as we talk about electric vehicles? You know, one, I agree with the the range anxiety, and I get that for sure. (laughs) And capacity issues, absolutely. But I was in the market for a new vehicle just recently, and I found myself just shine away from electric vehicle or anything an EV and hybrid just for some simple fact of just I'm super utilitarian about my vehicles and trying to find an EV vehicle that provide me um, the utility that I needed out of it just doesn't exist. I mean, you have these things like Tesla's and other concept vehicles that are very unique in design and things, but I, I want something practical like you know, the Ford um, lightning what? does that. It makes it very practical. What's but, practical? What do you mean? And and how it looks, like, or just the features? What What do you mean? Like let's uh, like a Rivan, right? It has all practicality of like um, you know four wheel drive. It has the capacity mm. to put like two big dogs and kids in car mm-hmm. seats. But you know, if I'm going to spend over a hundred thousand dollars, I might do that in property and and not something that has um, you know diminishing value as a vehicle. You know, it's money one hundred and one. Is car payments themselves don't have any value. You shouldn't have one. So trying to invest that much in a vehicle that just doesn't exist right now is is just not there for me. So I ended up buying a a gas vehicle where there's certain things like, um, you know, Jeep's coming out with the E and stuff like that, too. But that's just so far ahead. And I think, you know, understanding that charging stations are definitely codependent on how many vehicles are being purchased. But if you're marketing to not just the commuters out there, but the people who are asking more of their vehicles from the utilitarian side, I mean, you can really spread it out more. I mean, the more diversity in EV, I would just, it's what I want. All right. Thank you. Uh, that uh, is Kyle calling in from New Hope. I want to make sure we ha- have some time to talk about um, this car that I'm very excited about, Afila. Honda and Sony announced their new, their concept car called Afila, I believe coming out in 2026. Rebecca, how unusual is it to see a tech company team up with an automaker? I- I've been driving Hondas for more than 25 years, uh, and I- I'm a Honda driver. So I have my eye on Afila. I have affection for Afila, and I have not even met this vehicle. But they drove the Afila out onto the stage at the Consumer Electronics Show. What can you tell us about that particular uh, vehicle? 
So uh, just to answer your first question, it's getting less and less uncommon. Uh, so we're seeing, um, you know, like Apple is talking about releasing its own car. People talk about Tesla as a software company, not a manufacturing company. We're even seeing companies like General Motors and Ford, like racing to hire programmers and software designers and people who design apps to to make their cars work. And so like for that reason, I don't think this was so surprising. I think another challenge or of, you know, the EV era is that you have to, you know, develop these batteries and the mm-hmm. companies that know how to work on batteries are, are tech companies and like, you know, battery manufacturers who have worked with other types of technology before. And, you know, the traditional automakers really need their help. So I think it's not so, so surprising. I think the car certainly uh, looks really, really cool. It reminds me pretty? of- it's a pretty yeah, car. Yeah, it's very pretty. <laughs> yes, and I think I think that's part of the strategy too, though, right? It's to you know when EVs are being rolled out to show you these luxury-looking, beautiful cars to make you really want one, right? Like I think that's part of the uh, strategy by some automakers to sort of usher people into the electric era. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it's going to come down to cost. So we haven't talked about money. What's the range right now in, in the cost of an electric vehicle? I imagine it maybe similar to gas or, or what can you tell us Rebecca about how much they cost? So a lot of these cars are still more expensive. Obviously get the, the challenge here is that Tesla has been so much of the EV market um, for uh, the past few years. And these are pretty, pretty expensive, um, mm-hmm. expensive cars. Um, but the, you know, GM and Ford are coming up with new models and trying to be, uh, bring cars that are like a little more comparable to um, that what you might pay for a, a typical internal combustion vehicle. So you can find ones that are more affordable. And I think, you know, as more of these vehicles are made and um, Tesla becomes less and less of the, the main company people associate with electric vehicles, I think that association with EVs mm-hmm. being like really expensive is going to go down. Plus, you also have to factor in all the gas cost savings and things like that. And Yuka, uh, do you see the cost coming down in 2023 Is it as it becomes more competitive and other automakers jumping into this and really ramping up production? Are we going to see more uh, affordable electric vehicles? Yes, that's definitely the case. And, and previous uh, caller mentioned there that uh, asked about the utility of EVs. And actually, when you look at them, most of them are available in all-wheel drive. There are a lot of big models available uh, that provide a lot of utility for for done and the pricing i'll give you an example chevy bolt you can buy one for twenty six thousand dollars right now mm. that is not bad mm-hmm. um so there's a wide variety of options that's why i'm saying go to ev info list download the pdf do your own research go test drive whatever you want <laughs> and see what works for you you i'm pretty sure that you will find a car that works for you and you got uh, in our last seconds here give me that website again uh the the updates that you provide on electric vehicles evinfolist.com. Oh, all right. I want to thank our guests. Our time is up for the day. I've learned a lot about electric vehicles and looking forward to see what 2023 brings us in that industry. We've been talking with Yuka Kukunen, the founder of Shift to Electric, a Minnesota-based electric vehicle consulting and training company. Yuka also teaching classes there at the University of St. Thomas about the EV market. And also our guest, Rebecca Hiawile, a reporter at Vox, covering emerging technology, artificial intelligence, and a supply chain. You can listen to her stories on her podcast, Recode. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Yuka. Be careful out there today. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation produced by Matt Alvarez. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.